Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Chris Jolly, and I'm on staff of the church. I'm the college pastor, and we're so glad that you are here. Woo, yeah, go college. We got good college representation today. All right, way to go. We made it. We went to summer. Uh, we're so thankful that y'all are here. If you are new, we're going to give you a little update about what we've been doing and why we are continuing our series on calling commissioned with a panel. Uh, so this summer, we've focused on how God has called and commissioned us and that the callings that we've received from him are good, and there's not one calling that's greater than another. It's not, there's not a tier list in his mind, like S tier is pastor, and then A tier is, you know, something, something else. And as you go down, it doesn't get as good in quality. Uh, that his callings for us are good, and that the vocations that he's given us are good. That business is good. Two weeks, we're going to talk about how government is good. That might seem controversial, but it's not. Uh, it's his idea, and it's good, <laughs> since it's his idea. Uh, and we're going to talk about health care this morning, and it's good. And we're talking about men- mental and physical health care, and this is going to be a fun conversation. The goal of this morning is that as we get to hear from healthcare professionals um, and get to pray for healthcare professionals, that this would start a conversation in our congregation of what it means to pursue health and wellness uh, professionally. And I hope that if you have any questions or anything stirring up in you, or if you feel called into healthcare, um, that this would be a, a, a time for us to gather together, pray for you, um, and take the next step forward. Uh, because our king, a really, really good king who rules and reigns in heaven, is working throughout the entire world through his church, through his people, and he's also doing it through different vocations. That's not just pastors and missionaries. He's doing it through you. He's doing it through students. He's doing it through business leaders. He's doing it through healthcare. Uh, so as we begin, it's such good news that our king has decided to associate with uh, healthcare. He is our wonderful counselor, and he is our great physician. Um, and as I was thinking about this, I'm so glad that we did communion this morning. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but I love to philosophize. I like to think about thinking. I like theory. And we can get lost in why suffering exists, but I am so grateful that our king he identifies with our suffering by taking and suffering with us, by taking on um, such deep pain and loss that we can like philosophize and theorize about why suffering exists, why evil exists, but then he makes it relatable by entering into our suffering that a child can understand. A child not might, might not be able to theorize about it, but a child can understand how our, our good king chose to suffer with us, um, to die uh, a death, and then raised to life to bring us life. That's such good news that we don't have a king that's far away, that's distant, uh, who, who doesn't care, who's ambivalent, that we have a king that's compassionate, that he's moved with compassion. He's moved with a deep desire to suffer with us and to be with us. So as we talk about this morning, uh, I'm excited for them to be able to share about how God's working in the workplace and then share a little about mental health um, and that we can have a conversation on this as a congregation. All right. So that's who I am, and that's what I like to talk about and think about. Uh, But I'd love for you all to introduce yourselves about uh, who who you are, what you do, what field you focus in, and uh, how how you got there. And then we'll get to the why in a second. So my name is Carly Mayo. I'm married to Ben Mayo, the guy that was on guitar here earlier. Woo! Ben Mayo. Um, So um, I'm a licensed mental health counseling associate, um, and I specialize in complex trauma and dissociation. Um, and that was kind of a long road for me, <laughs> starting from the age of 12. Um, I got a hold of this book that I probably shouldn't have got a hold of, but um, we were coming back from a youth camp, and then they had given this book out to counselors at the youth camp, and I was a kid who read a lot, and on the drive back to Tyler, where I'm from, Tyler, Texas, um, I said, hey, can I read that book? And my counselor was like, yeah, sure, take this book. And I was like, great, thanks. Um, it was a book about um, a girl who had been trafficked from Nepal to India, And I finished the book in the entire car ride, and it just kind of opened my eyes up to this world of, like, oh, like, there is a, like, trafficking, there is slavery happening today. I never thought that that would be true. I thought it ended. And that just kind of turned into um, a lot of advocacy and learning throughout my, my teenage to young adult years with different groups in college and whatnot. And then one time, this time I was in 
I was a sophomore in college getting ready to go to my job at Starbucks. And I was praying. I was like on fire for God. I was like, yeah, Jesus, I'm going to be a missionary for you in India. I'm not getting married until I'm 28. If ever, I'm going to live that Paul life. Oh, I can do this for the Lord. And I felt the Lord come into the room and say, will you give me your next five years? Will you give me the plans of your next five years? I was like, I'm already doing that because I'm going to become a missionary. And he was like, will you hand it to me? Will you hand me your plans and let it be an unknown? Like knowing that I have it. And I was like, but I want to be, but I'm going to be a missionary like that. You don't ask someone who wants to be a missionary those kinds of questions, Jesus. I said missionary so I wouldn't have to answer those kinds of questions. And I ended up being like, fine, sure. I went to Starbucks and my manager was like, what's going on today? I was like, just had an encounter with the Lord where he like basically told me I'm not supposed to know what I do for the next five years. And he was like, yeah, that happens sometimes. And I was like, yeah, I know. Um, And I'm glad I did because um, instead of being married at 28 or not at all, I got married at 21. Um, I obviously am not in India, even though I have a really deep love for India and, and that country. And I basically, the Lord led me to finish my English degree, get married. I actually got married before I finished my English degree. I'm not promoting it, but we had a lot of friends getting married. Um, So we needed to find a time to do it. Um, Spending three years in Dallas, Texas, working in the corporate world, not really doing what I felt like I was called to do. And then um, our dear friends, the Jollies, asked us to consider to move to Raleigh, North Carolina. And amidst us praying for six months just to figure out, okay, is this where we're going? Is this where the Lord's leading us? Um, Ben and I kind of came to the conclusion that we both felt like the Lord was calling me back to get my master's degree in counseling. Um, And as we were saying yes to that and saying yes to Raleigh, I also started getting connected with some friends who worked in um, sex worker, like, ministries and stuff like that. Um, And really plugged me in to be in the place where I am today, treating complex trauma and dissociation. Um, And I love it. So... That's why I got here. Woohoo! <laughs> uh, my name is Molly McCallum, and I'm uh, the medical side of things up here. I am a nurse, nurse practitioner. What that means is I started out in nursing, and I've gone on to um, get a graduate degree, which allows me to treat patients on my own. I can order and interpret tests. I can prescribe medications. I see patients independently. Um, so I've been a nurse practitioner for the last 10 years. The, la- the first stint of that, I was out at UNC in Chapel Hill working with the uh, lung transplant team. And currently, I work in family medicine. We call it the jack of all trades, master of none. We see anything and everything. Um, and before that, I was a nurse for 10 years. So I've been in a nursing capacity for 20 years. And when I added that up, I was like, is that right? That's, that's a lot. Um, so that's what I do. I've worked... Um, I've done case management with the police and fire departments in Washington, D.C. I've worked in uh, cardiothoracic surgery and transplant uh, in a hospital setting at the University of Wisconsin. I mentioned the job out at Chapel Hill and now in family medicine. So I've sort of always wanted to go into healthcare in some way, shape, or form with sort of that, you know, empathetic kid that was always in touch with people who were suffering um, didn't really know what I wanted to do when I went off to college, thought I'd keep my options open and study like biology. Maybe I'd go into sports medicine or maybe I'd, you know, and my grandma, who was a nurse, kind of wrote me, give a nudge. And by nudge, I mean, she wrote me a five page letter as to why I should be a nurse. Um, but she knew that that would allow me to start working right away and get experience, um, and be independent, which was really helpful. And she also warned me at that time that nurses, because of our empathy, tend to marry very needy men, and that I should watch out for that. And she was so right, because all the men that I had been dating, I was like, wait a minute, they're patients. Like, this is somebody who's, like, needing something for me. So I wisened up and married a very independent, strong man who takes care of me. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I'm Van Langland, uh, licensed uh, counselor working with marriages and families. And um, so I moved here from California uh, where I did my graduate work. And I think probably one of the most important things I could say was how I got here and God's calling on my life. So I grew up 
in a family. I'm the oldest of three. And my dad was a first-generation U.S. citizen. His parents immigrated from Norway. And in the Scandinavian countries, the Lutheran faith is very, very strong. My mother was a Seventh-day Adventist. And they both went to church. But if you understand the difference between Lutherans and Protestants and Catholics and Seventh-day Adventists, Seventh-day Adventists go to church on, well, they attend a service on Saturday. And so in my family, there was always a, a spiritual tension between those two um, religions. And also my parents didn't like fight and yell and scream, but they bickered a lot. And I think I became a marriage and family therapist to make a difference in the world. Because when I was at college, before I went to graduate school, I was studying to be a pastor. So my major is religion, minor in psychology. But as I was finishing up my undergraduate work, my friends would come and talk with me. They would want to talk about their relationships, what was going on. And I was basically doing counseling with my friends and helping them in relationships. And they would come back and say, this, this is really great. This is really helping. So I, I didn't know it at the time, but I really felt like as I look back on my life that God was kind of taking the pain of growing up in my family and giving me a ministry and a calling to make a difference in this country, which if you all for the last 20, maybe even 30 years, you know the statistics in the country is that the rate of divorce is at least 50%. And unfortunately, even in people who identify as Christians, the statistic is about the same, 50%. So I'm hoping that God has used me, I believe that he has, to make a difference in this world, to make a difference in families and relationships. And I like what you said, Chris, our God is a wonderful counselor. And uh, so the wisdom that I have, I just do my best to speak the wisdom of God. I believe that I'm kind of a link in a chain. I'm not sure where that link comes when couples and families come to see me. But, you know, I might be the link just to begin to speak hope into somebody's life. I might be right in the middle of that chain to where it's not just hope but giving them skills because you know that we heal the best in relational connection. And that's what counseling is all about. That's what the medical profession is all about. That's what we have to offer. We have the ability to offer a connection that the world does not have the ability. And I think I went back in my notes when you were first opening up this series on called and commissioned. I think it was Ben, you know, that said it's not necessarily what we do, but it's who we are. And we are children of the Most High God. We have been called with a holy calling. Wherever you are, wherever you, I mean, if you're a student, you've been called with a holy calling. God has a kingdom purpose for you in your school, in your dorm, in your classes. And that's what we're here to talk about, Chris, is that kingdom calling, what God wants to do. And I think one of my favorite verses, as I think about myself as a counselor, is Matthew 5, 16, where it's, Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify 
your Father which is in heaven. Amen. Amen. Um, so speaking of good works, uh, Molly, can you share a testimony of how you've seen God work in your workplace through physical health care? Yes. Um, I think that's such a good segue, just talking about kind of letting your light shine, because when I was pondering the idea of how do I bring God's kingdom to my workplace, I think anybody and everybody can do that wherever you are. It's asking him to work through you to allow your light to yeah. shine. Um, and, and so I try to do that every day on my way into work. I, you know, say, Lord, please come into me today. Help me to have a healing presence. Help me to ask the right questions. Help me to say the right things down to help me to prescribe the right medications and order the right tests. And he's been faithful to show up. And so I, when I was thinking through stories about, you know, when I can, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? You can say, oh yeah, the Lord definitely helped me there. But there's been times where the Lord has revealed to me in the moment um, something I needed to know that I would not have uncovered otherwise. Um, so two quick stories. One, um, I have a patient who came in to see me. She was a new patient. And when the medical assistant came in to kind of give me the report, she was already frustrated. She's like, this person won't let me take her weight, won't let me check her vital signs, won't let me do anything. I don't even know why she's here. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I don't know what I'm walking into. And so I walk in and there's a lady probably, she's in her mid sixties and she's panicked. She has, she's having panic attacks before my very face. And the way that she's managing these panic attacks is with this water spray bottle. She's like turning around and spraying her face. Um, so that I, you know, I'm like, okay, what can I, how, well, how can I help you today? Thinking clearly she's here to address her anxiety, but she wasn't, she was there for a physical. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, well, let's start by taking her blood pressure. She couldn't allow me to check her blood pressure. She couldn't allow me to touch her at all. And I was kind of like getting frustrated. How am I supposed to do a physical assessment on a patient who won't let me do anything for her? Um, so I said, you know, I was trying to address the anxiety. She clearly didn't want to talk about that. I said, let me just give you a minute and I'm going to step out and come back in. So I step out and I'm wondering how I'm supposed to help this person. How can I declare that she's healthy if I can't listen to her lungs, I can't check her vital signs, I can't do anything? And as I'm getting ready to walk back into the room, the, something shifted. The Lord showed up. I didn't hear anything, but I started to see her the way he sees her. Um, and it occurred to me that, you know, so I walked in and I said, what, what can I do for you? you? You showed up here, you need some help. How can I help you? And she said, well, I just need somebody who's willing to work with me because I can't, I clearly have a lot of anxiety. There's times I go to the dentist and as far as I can get is to sit in the waiting room and that's as far as I can go and then I have to turn around and go home. And I said, okay, I can work with you. Maybe the most important thing I can do with you today is just to pray. How do you feel about that? And her eyes just lit up. And that's kind of a risky thing to ask somebody <laughs> in a medical field. Um, and so I, that's all I did with her that day, is I just prayed with her. And she has since come back several times and been able to allow me to check her weight and her blood pressure and listen to her lungs. We haven't gotten up to doing blood work yet, but we're going to get there. Um, but I think that's, those are the moments that I feel the Lord really show up, where I start to get over my own frustrations of dealing with a patient and start to see that patient for what he sees. He just sees a child who's scared in a doctor's office. And that's what she needed, was to, the 60-some-year-old woman, was to have somebody hold her hand long enough to calm her down. And I think that being up here with two mental health professionals is, is just so crucial because there's nothing I do in the medical realm without first addressing where a patient's at emotionally because our bodies are so connected, our emotional, spiritual, and physical health. You can't address one without addressing the others. Um, so that's, that's one story. I have many, but... Uh, if you're interested in hearing more, come and find me because I'm not going to take too much more the, time. The stage four. Uh, oh yeah, so another another quick one. Um, this is more of a medical story. <clears throat> the Lord also helps me with the medical side of things. So I was doing a telehealth visit with COVID. You know the way it was. We weren't really seeing patients. Patients weren't coming in. So a telehealth visit for gastrointestinal upset, and she was basically wanting some medicine to help calm down her stomach. Um, and I kept asking questions. I'm like, how long has this been going on? Uh, something's not quite right. And so I ordered a CT scan, which is sort of an unusual thing to order when you haven't been able to physically assess the patient. Typically, you need to you know, press on their belly, listen to their belly, know that there's something physically wrong. 
um, before doing an expensive test like that. And I was like, I don't like it. I, I just, let's just do it. I'm going to follow my gut on this one. So, um, and so I'm going to follow my gut, not your gut. Um, and so I did, and she had stage four metastatic ovarian cancer that had spread all throughout her gastrointestinal system. And it, I mean, I got a phone call from the radiologist who was like, this is a courtesy call. You're going to need to call this one because they don't want, you know, the, the records now release immediately. So she could log in and see that. And I don't want her to see that uh, written in writing before she's gotten a phone call. And uh, she has gone on to near full recovery, this woman, which is unbelievable. Yeah, she's had, yeah. She's had uh, surgery, obviously, and chemo, and stayed extremely active. Um, and she sent, about six months to a year later, she sent me a MyChart message with a picture of herself on her bike and just said, you know, thank you so much, you saved my life. And I, I responded back again, kind of a risky move in a medical field where you're not cleared to bring up Jesus all the time. And I said, you know what? I felt led by the Spirit to order that test. It wasn't just me who saved you. Amen. Amen. So this morning, we don't have time to go through every question on mental health. Uh, do we? Are we able to go through it all? Okay, great. <laughs> just checking, just checking. Um, so we'll talk about a few, few things that we can do as a church or things that are helpful for us to know as a body. But once again, we want to open up this conversation uh, for you in the room if you have further questions that we talk about it together as a people. Um, so the first thing that we're just going to jump, jump right in and dive right in. Um, there are a lot of ways that are causing things of COVID and what's happening in the world is calling suffering and grief. I um, would love for you all um, mental health care professionals to uh, address, like, what, what does it mean for the church to grieve well? What does it mean for us to grieve well and not ignore grief or not ignore suffering? How can we grieve with others? Um, and I know, I know from my growing up, it was pretty easy to ignore those things that could be causing pain and not pausing to, to reflect, um, things like that. So can you address uh, us as a congregation to how to grieve well? Yeah, I mean, for me, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot, obviously, in the past couple of years, but especially this year because we've just experienced a lot of personal grief, including the death, the sudden death of my dad, actually. And funnily enough, both me and my husband, we lost our, our fathers in our, like in our first couple years of being together slash marriage, um, which is just a really strong and, and intense place to grow as a couple and as a person so young. Um, those are like really foundational um, milestone events, losing a parent, losing a father that, you know, I didn't expect to have happen to me until I was in my 40s, 50s, 60s, because we have a lot of longevity in our family. Um, my mom's still here, and she probably will live to be 100. But um, within that, I was noticing, I was going through the loss of my dad as I was being a counselor, and it was one of those things where I was like, I just need to take a pause and figure out where I am with this before I start counseling other people into it, because I don't know what is going on right now. And um, I, I grew up in a charismatic Assemblies of God church. I grew up in the in the as a millennial evangelical Hillsong Bethel, etc. Um, in in the American church, and something I realized for me personally and for the people around me. Um, we were not taught how to suffer or grieve well. We were taught that suffering and grief is a product of your own sin, and if you are experiencing these emotions, you're doing something wrong. You're, you're not believing the Lord. You're not praying enough. You're not diving into his word enough. And I felt a lot of intrinsic and subconscious guilt for having grief about my dad passing away you know, which sounds crazy on the back end, and if you say it to someone, it's like, yeah, your dad died. Like, you're going to be sad about that. But I, I honestly had not learned or, or been instructed in how to grieve well in a lot of ways that I wasn't instructed on how to use the spiritual gifts well. Um, <laughs> there were some gaps in my learning. And so I think when I, when I think about this question, um, a big piece of it is just the permission, first of all, 
that you have permission to grieve, to feel sorrow. Um, I mean, there's so much of the Bible that I think gets left out in teaching about these things or thinking about these things where we come from a lineage of, of people before us who have written and, you know, discussed and done discourse and, and just experienced what it means to suffer, what it means to grieve. So we're not reinventing the wheel, um, even though it can feel like we are sometimes when we're stuck in the middle of it and, and just have a permission to step into um, the wisdom of the people that have come before us, um, as well as um, just permission to learn how to understand who you are, learn how to express your emotions, to develop emotional intelligence, because if you can express it well, it means you can understand yourself and what you're going through better, um, both when you're talking to the people in your community, but also to Jesus, you know? <laughs> like, sometimes you just have these moments where you're like, and that's all I have to say about that. Um, but he understands it, and understanding that, that you're not going to knock him off his throne if you have a doubt or a question, or you feel uncomfortable or negative about something. Like, he's heard it before, and, and you aren't straying from the fold by going through the experience and process of grief. So, yeah. Yeah, that's good. yeah. Yeah, so I'd like to kind of piggyback on that. Um, you know, just a couple things as a body. What can, what can we do specifically? Yeah. Um, so what I tell um, my clients as well as when I go on site and do employee assistance work, um, <clears throat> that the feelings of grief and the stages of grief are not pleasant, but they're healthy. And that piggybacks on what you were saying is, is that we have to give each other permission to grieve, and we need to see it as it's a healthy, it's a healthy process that we go through as human beings, and that it's okay to feel sad, it's okay to feel lost, it's okay to have tears go down your cheeks, it's okay to be upset about it, even mad or angry, depending on what happened, what the loss is. That's all normal and natural. And with that, the number one thing that I recommend that we do as a body is we learn how to be comfortable sitting with somebody who's grieving. And how can you be comfortable? Well, when you realize that we heal the best through relational connection. And if Molly is the one that's grieving, just the fact that I'm sitting here and I'm listening, I'm doing more than I realize or give myself credit for. Because I'm loving you and I'm walking with you in this path. So... That's our calling, is it not? To walk with people, not to fix people. And guys, I can say this. Generally, what do we want to do? S say it. We want to fix it. <laughs> so, like, uh, you can look this up on YouTube. Bob Newhart, when he was the counselor, this goes way back. He's sitting with the woman. She's just pouring her heart out. What should I do? He looks at her and goes, stop it. <laughs> so I'm going to borrow that, guys, and I'm going to say stop trying to fix. Because listening is one of the most underrated skills in our culture. And the more we listen, the more we learn the more we listen, the more we hear the voice of God. And if I could just tell a little story about yeah. kind of how that happened for me. Quickly, this couple's been married for 20 years. I've worked with them off and on in the last four to five years. They were coming back in to see me. Um, <clears throat> this round, uh, history was they weren't listening to each other. Um, he wasn't listening to her. She wanted a voice in the marriage. She felt like he kind of steamrolled over her. 
he has a military background, and so his ideas were good, but he wanted just to kind of push and move through. She's more on the feeling level, uh, connecting, and was concerned about what they were doing and how it would affect their two uh, girls. Uh, so when they came back to see me, they had been separated for some time, which I did not know. And I had been working with him in the couple's session saying, look, you, you need to listen to your wife. She's said that time and time again. She needs to feel like her opinions and her ideas are valuable to you as her husband. Well, okay, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. I, yeah, thank you. And then we would just move on. And I just, this was like three or four sessions and just didn't feel like I was getting through. So in between sessions, I just said, okay, God, wonderful counselor, you have the answer. So I know I'm on the right track, but somehow it's not getting through. And I think I'm saying this for more than one couple that's here in the audience today. Just all my heart is because this, this example came up as you were talking about yours. So what the Lord just spoke to my heart, have an individual session with the husband and tell him we're going to change things in our approach. And the actual wording was, you, I was speaking now to him like you're him. I said, you need to start with the goal in mind. And the goal is whatever you do or say, does it communicate to her that she's special that she's intelligent, that she has good ideas, that she's onto something, and that her opinion and how she thinks we should handle this is really an important thing. You need to start with that grid, and anything you do or say has to support that fact. And he just sat there and in silence, and I could tell that God was just working on him. He says, I've never done that before. And remember, he's military. And the Holy Spirit just gave me that, and it opened up that case. They have been doing better. He's been trying. He's been doing that, and it has completely turned around that relationship because the Holy Spirit knows exactly where to push. He knows what to say and how to say it. And I'm just giving you all encouragement. Listen to the Lord when you're in a situation. Listen for that still, small voice. Because God is for you. He is not against you. He is for us. Amen. Uh, I'd love for you all to maybe bounce around and address this. And there, there's a tension. We could talk about this once again theologically another time. Uh, you can talk to me after if you want to. We can discuss this. But the kingdom is here, and the kingdom is not yet. And we see as Jesus walked around that whoever he touched got healed, uh, except in his own hometown, different sermon, different time. They lacked faith. We can talk about it later. Uh, but then we also, we see now People, we pray for healing. People get healed. We can see people get set free from addictions and uh, get cured of anxiety and depression instantly. And then also we see this reality where it takes months or years praying in faith, believing for it. And then sometimes we don't see the healing happen um, this side of eternity. And so we'd love for you all to address like the, the integration of uh, medication, the integration of the spiritual life, the integration of walking with someone over a long period of time in counseling or a long period of time doing, doing health care that I, I think, you know, Carly was addressing, like, there's going to be an over-spiritualization of, hey, your anxiety or depression, you just, you don't have faith. I'm just, I don't know, put it to you, just have more faith. <laughs> just do it, you know, like, make it happen. Or, uh, have, have you read the Bible for an hour yet? 
okay, you're only 30 minutes? Okay, well, the reason why is because you're not an hour yet, you know? Or, you know, like we can make it, we can over-spiritualize it. We're like, oh, that's just a demon, you know, cast it out. Or we can under-spiritualize it and say, no, it's all physical. There's no emotional or mental integration. We just need to find the right chemical structure to insert into your body, and then you'll be fine. Um, so can you all address, like, that, that tension, especially in the church that we can experience of, over-spiritualizing something or under-spiritualizing it, and the integration of the fullness of healthcare that inquires the entire human person. Yeah, that's a lot to unpack there. Um, Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, um, I'll just talk for a few minutes and then pass it off to the folks who probably have more experience unpacking that kind of thing. Um, My experience with mental health, like I said before, you can't treat somebody physically without addressing how they feel about it. Even if they're coming in you know, because they have COVID, you know, heaven forbid. There's a lot of feelings about being sick with COVID. There's been a lot of fear hyped up about it. Um, and, and then there's been times when I have folks who come in and they have been struggling with depression, anxiety, grief, whatever it is, for who knows how many years, maybe 20, 30 years, and they finally decided they haven't had it, they can't do it anymore, they don't know where to go, and so they come to my office and unleash, you know, 20 years of some fairly deep-seated stuff, um, which is a privilege for me because they, uh, they feel safe enough to come in here and let that happen. Um, but I'm in way over my head in terms of being able to help in a 30-minute visit or with a pill. Like, that, that just is not, there's no cure-all. And so I start the conversation of, um, you know, if I had a magic wand, I'd be rich. I wouldn't be here. Uh, and if I had a magic pill, I'd give it to you, but I don't. Um, and so we need to talk through you know, whether or not medication would be helpful to manage some of these symptoms so that you can start to address what stuff has been going on um, emotionally. And I, I think it wouldn't be, you know, we live in a broken world, right? I mean, the Lord, such a large part of his ministry was healing the sick. We are going to get sick here in this world physically and mentally. Those Mental illness is just part of that. Like, that's just going to happen. And the Lord is the ultimate healer and can heal people, but if we put him in that small box of only being able to heal miraculously or only being able to heal with medicine or only being able to heal with somebody who has the gift of, you know, casting out demons, that's putting him in a box. It really should be multifactorial. You don't have to go just to one place to get the treatment that you need. Um, And that's why I think the relationship between the medical provider and a mental health provider is so important. And I would never prescribe a medication without also saying, we need some help talking through the stuff that you're going through and that you should really be in counseling too. So I think this collaborative approach is really important. Um, Going back to that background, that charismatic assemblies of God, I really can't emphasize enough how... (laughs) Truly, truly um, hyper aware of the spiritual realm I was from a very young age, um, just by the nature of, of, you know, growing up, you know, Um, and so I kind of had to come from this other side of like, okay, it's not just laying on hands, you tremble, the angels catch you, some gold dust falls on your forehead, and like your ankle's been healed, like, there is, I was really putting the Lord in a box, like you were saying, about what healing looks like. And I think that that's something the Lord really challenged me with when I first started practicing um, and feeling like I really needed to push through and, and it wasn't going to be healing if I didn't help these people get to these miraculous breakthroughs on like session two, um, where I'm still figuring out like what their dad's name is and what their like ex-boyfriend, what the deal with him was. Um, and the Lord just really challenged me, especially in the population I work in, where there's just such systemic things people have experienced, such trauma that they've carried and that is built upon and built upon and built upon from, from infancy even, um, realizing that I wasn't going to just reinvent the wheel the day they walk in my office. And the Lord really challenged that in me, that, that deep-seated anxiety about just getting it right and doing the right thing and not messing up and hurting someone. And I think that a lot of us in the church carry that anxiety when it comes to balancing. I have anxiety, but I don't feel permission to, to ask someone about a medication because it means I failed. I'm a bad Christian. If I seek this, I'm not trusting him enough. Um, 
because there's this desire, just we want to get right. We want to be walking rightly with the Lord. And I think I realized my view was so narrow and that the Lord was so multifaceted in the way he wants to heal people. And everyone is, every person is so unique um, in that way. And that's why counseling is different for every single person that I'm, I'm with, you know, like I, medicine doesn't make you a different person. You know, I'm on, I'm on an anti-anxiety medication and I'm not a completely different person. I'm not like DJing at a nightclub and like, and like creating, you know, like graffiti art in the streets at night when I'm not on it. I just don't cry in the grocery store when they're out of eggs or have a panic attack when the restaurant's too loud. You know, it really is about that if it's going well and, and I'm managing it well, that I have that clarity to address the issues that the medication can't touch that needs that relational aspect, that long-term healing. And so, um, yeah, just understanding that it's, it's community, it's a therapeutic relationship. I mean, it's, it's all of those parts of you that exist that come together to make you healthy and well. And if one of those is really out of whack, it's going to touch the other things. It's going to make the other things come out of whack. So, yeah. Does that address Ben on that? Yeah. So, yeah, just kind of taking what Molly and Carly have shared. Um, it says in Ephesians that, that we don't war against the flesh, but against principalities, powers, the rulers in high places. And, and so there's a larger reality than just the physical world and how we feel emotionally, our brain chemistry and so forth. And that's a spiritual reality. And so what we, the way I'm thinking about it is we're trying to hold on to both. And we look for interventions on, on both sides. And for me as a, as a therapist, how I approach that is um, I will explore as many options as I possibly can prior to medication. But the line that I go, and this is what I say to my clients, is at the point where you're just holding on for for dear life and you're having difficulty with the normal things in life and you feel like you're like tired just trying to make the everyday things happen, then there is another solution there's another avenue and it's it's something that can help us get to a psychological route something that may have happened in the past because the enemy comes to steal kill and destroy he wants to take us down and he's going to do whatever he can to do it so Somebody that suffers from chronic, very low self-esteem or suffers from anxiety or suffers from depression, yes, there is a spiritual component to it, but we don't judge that person. You know, it's just like if you're, if you're at war, like in Afghanistan or, you know, some other place and you're in war, I mean, there are casualties in the war. You know, people, soldiers get shot at. They're pressed beyond what's humanly possible. And that's the context that they operate in. And so we're, we're really at war. Uh, and it's a spiritual war. And the enemy wants to win. But Jesus has already won the overall war. And so what we do is we walk alongside of our brothers and sisters who are suffering, and we say, you know, I will pray for you, I will be here, I will support you, but the one thing that, that we can agree on is that Jesus has paid the price, and he has defeated the entire kingdom of darkness, past, present, and future, and all power and all authority has been given unto him, and I'm going to work this, walk this out with you until you have victory. And that is our calling. That is our calling. And I would say to you all, don't give up so soon. You know, do not lose faith. Keep on keeping on. Keep on loving. Keep on praying. Keep on believing. And, you know, one of my favorite texts and um, at a very difficult time in my life, I had to stand on this 
because I went through very intense anxiety. Uh, I was, woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and my heart was pounding, and I'd been teaching relaxation techniques for years and stress management for years and everything, and no matter what I could do, I couldn't stop it. Um, and uh, so when I went to the doctor, they said, no, you're fine, your heart is fine, you just have anxiety. We, 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 we can't give up. We have to keep pushing through. So here's the text for you. Revelation chapter 12. I believe it's verse 10. Where voice from heaven says, Now, wait, let me just read it. I want to make sure that I get it. You can leave that there. Revelation 12. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now, now, I'm going to add a couple of things to this text, but it's all still in the text. It says, now the salvation of our God has come. Now the power of our God has come. And now the kingdom of our God has come. And the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. And I prayed that verse over and over and over again. Now the salvation of our God has come. Now the power of our God has come, past tense. And now the kingdom of our God has come. And now the authority of his Christ has come for the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. We need to stand upon the truth of God's word that is living. It is active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It is able to pierce down to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. And it's able to judge and discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We declare the word of God because it is living. It has the power. Jesus is the word. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one can come to the Father but by him. So we walk in that authority. He has given us that authority. And we don't give up too soon. We keep on declaring that authority. We keep on declaring that he is good and the power of his blood cleanses us from all sin. That's where we live. That's what makes this body of believers different is we don't give up. We keep on declaring the truth of God's word. And that's what we're here to talk about today, brother. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um. Warren, you can come up. Who's on keys? Uh, well, how we'd like to wrap up is we'd like to pray for all of our healthcare workers, or if you're going into the healthcare field, I think we have a few people who are med school um, in, in, in our midst. And as you can hear, there, there's, there's a tension. And we fully believe yeah, Jesus died, he rose again, he has full authority, full victory, his blood covers it all. And when the healing doesn't come immediately, that we walk with people, we suffer with people. Because our God's a God of compassion. He walks with us. Um, and so if you're a healthcare worker, we want to thank you so much for how you have served uh, over the past few years where it's been extremely difficult. Uh, we were all talking earlier, and they are talking about the continual triage of healthcare professionals and people being burnt out over and over again. And there's just a huge need for us to be a congregation that supports and blesses those who are serving and suffering and blessing others. So if you're a healthcare professional, can you stand, please? If you, in any part of the healthcare field, uh, doctor, nurse, got a nurse over there. There we go. Okay, yes, mental health, everything. Come on. Thank you all for serving. Y'all can stay standing. Uh, if you're around them, can you lay hands on them? And we're just going to pray a blessing over them. So if you're in the healthcare field, remain standing. Uh, we're going to lay hands on you. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll talk in a second. Y'all can, can stand. I'll pray for y'all. Yeah. So lay hands on them and pray one voice. Uh, start blessing them, thanking them for uh, what, what they're, how they're serving.
Jesus, you said that uh, who, when you do this to the least of these, you, you've done it to you. And we thank you for these healthcare workers um, that in every counseling session, they're sitting someone who's, who's suffering, uh, they're ministering to you, that um, every time they're, they're ministering to someone who, who's sick, who's ailing, uh, who, who's suffering from physical sicknesses, that they're ministering to you. And we bless them. Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd fill them with supernatural strength. We ask for refreshment. We ask for joy that gives them strength. We ask for peace. We ask for your power in their hearts to help them endure in suffering with others. We ask for your supernatural power to come upon them, to see miraculous healings, signs, and wonders. And we ask for your power that they would be with people for the long haul. That they would not grow weary in doing good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as we jump into worship, um, there's a few calls of response. Um, so we're going to have uh, them up, up on the front and life group leaders and elders. And if you feel called into healthcare, uh, they would love to lay hands on you and pray for you and bless you. And uh, our elders and life group leaders love to pray and commission you, that you are missionaries, that you are being sent out. You're not just, uh, we don't just send out pastors we send or missionaries. We send out everyone. Everyone's called, everyone's commissioned, everyone's sent. Um, and if you need prayer for anything, we, want, we believe that God heals and that he restores and he redeems. So if you need prayer for uh, anything mental, physical, or emotional, come and receive prayer. Um, and that's how we are going to close uh, the service. I'm going to pray real quick as we get into worship. Jesus, we thank you that you are our wonderful counselor and that you are our physician, that you came for the sick and the broken. In Isaiah uh, 57, it says that he who dwells in the most high place, the high and holy who rules and reigns in heaven, he also dwells with him who's of a broken heart and a contrite spirit to bring revival, to restore, to lift up the brokenhearted. And we thank you that your ministry, Jesus, that you are the one anointed with the Holy Spirit and power to heal, to restore, to bind up the brokenhearted. We thank you for your ministry. So, Jesus, we ask for your ministry this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.